morning. Good to see you guys. Worship team, thank you for sharing your gifts with us this weekend. I told them this morning I was, I was really um, so overwhelmed almost just watching our worship team yesterday. A lot of us were sitting under the tree yesterday for two or three hours listening to George tell stories and and uh, that was rich. And I walked by here about 3 o'clock, 3.30, and they were in here rehearsing, getting ready for our time last night. And But this morning, and they're so good, and I appreciate the gifts you guys bring and the work you put in, but, but really what, what often moves me more is not the giftedness. Um, it's uh, the Jesus that lives in them. And when they, whether it's serving by setting up uh, or leading worship, uh, it's it's not the gift that is brings change in our community. It's it's the availability of the work of Christ in us in the kingdom of God. That's what we share. You know, it's been a, a rich weekend. Uh, I was bummed this morning. Uh, George came up to me on the way of breakfast. He goes, "Hey, I've got to preach this morning at the Chinese church in Topeka. So after breakfast, we're out of here." And I was like, no, you can't leave. And, and then Richard came up and said, hey, Tamara and I have to leave. We have responsibilities at our church this morning, and we've we got to go too. And, and uh, I was just kind of bummed about that. And then I looked up. We were starting. I, I saw Mace just walk in right before service started. Like, and then, and then I, we started singing. I looked there, and there's Danny, and there's Shelby, and there's Maddie. And I was like, you know, I love the church. Uh, it's a place of belonging. You know, and we don't always get to share every moment together like we want. But in the kingdom of God, we really belong. We're united around Christ. And so it's as if to me, like Shelby, Danny, Maddie, you were here, made this all along. And uh, it's so good to be with you guys too. And, and uh, We have a few guests. I know Jeremy's parents are here. You guys wave. We'd like to say hi to you. We're glad you're here. Yeah. Jeremy the musician, the magician. I gave, I gave him my slides about a couple minutes before I walked up here, and they'll be ready. They'll be up there somewhere. And I, I want to introduce my mom, my sister, and my brother-in-law. They're here. Got in from East Tennessee yesterday. So, Pat, Laura, and Joe. So, if you have a chance, say hey to them after as well. We're really glad. I'm glad they're here, and I got to see them uh, 15 minutes ago when we walked in. So. We're looking forward to having some time together. Um, we've, someone asked me, what's the theme of the Focus Lives Retreat? And I stumbled ask, answering the question. Like, I didn't know exactly how to answer it, but I don't know that there is a central theme, but there is a, there is a heart and in, in vision in the retreat. And um, most of you have heard this before, but we want it to be a time where we are reminding ourselves that we live in a kingdom and that we've been called into that kingdom and there's a way, a truth, and a life of that kingdom that we're called into. And we talk about that all year. But the Focus Lives Retreat is a time to remind ourselves of that. And it's not like necessarily we even have to use that language the whole weekend. It's just, it's what it's for. And then I think there's, a, there's another theme that we really didn't, talk that much about this weekend. We certainly prayed uh, some around it last night, but that is that God would reignite our heart for the nations. 
as we share life together. That, that would be his subversive work among us. Some years at the retreat, we'll probably blow that horn because uh, it's worth blowing. But some years, it's just the work of God in us that facilitates a kingdom heart that must break out of our church walls for other people, starting in our neighborhoods and our families and our places of work, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work in rippling that to the ends of the earth as he sees fit. That's not our work. It's his. We've been in a time the last several months called a a series messages. I think this is installment seven. I'm the only one that counts, so this is number seven. Uh, It's called Journey to Freedom. We're going to be looking for a a while as a community. What does it mean to be free? And uh, what does it mean to be free as individuals? Free from what? Free for what? And what does it mean to live together as a community in that freedom? We understand political freedom pretty well. We know how much we treasure it as a people, as a nation. There's a whole other kind of freedom that God has for us. We've been looking at that. We started in the book of Exodus. And we've, we've entitled this section of our freedom, Journey to Freedom, as people of God left uh, over four centuries of captivity, of slavery, and have been moving into a new way of living that they know not. And uh, they're going to really struggle with it, uh, as we do sometimes as well. So we're going to look at Exodus 17 this morning. I'm just, we're just going to look at a few verses. We're going to kind of plot along a few verses. And we're going we're to look at an incident that happened in this recently delivered people that was not on the blueprint at all. So I'm going to read one verse, and we'll get into it. Uh, Let me pray first. Father, during this time, would you open our hearts and minds? Would your Holy Spirit do what I can't do? Would your word do what it's quick and able to do? Would you merge the Spirit and the Word's work in our life? The Word of Christ, may it dwell richly in and among us during this time. And we pray that you would speak to us, Lord, in the way that you want. We need different things in this room. You know us uniquely. You speak to us as individuals. God, you're also moving us as a people in mission. You're moving us to discover what you have for us as we work together. God, you're able to hold all those things to speak to us as individuals and the and the circumstances and events and relationships in our lives right now, the, the pain and the trouble as well. You're able to do that. And you're also able to see the big picture. You know what's ahead. We don't. So God, we're trusting now that you would take this moment that we have together and speak to us in the way that you want. We submit ourselves under that as your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 17.8 of Exodus reads this. So let me give you a little bit of context. People have crossed the Red Sea. Moses led them out. This miraculous. He held his staff up and the sea parted and they, they crossed. The sea came back over Pharaoh and his army. They didn't make it. And they've now, they're now traveling in a way that they wouldn't have originally planned. Uh, God told Moses, don't go up the coastline. That's the short way to the promised land. But don't go that way. Because uh, there's Philistines in that territory, and they're not very kind. And they won't be kind to you. 
So go take the long way. So that's what they're doing. They're heading east uh, toward the mountain range that's centered around Sinai. And they're, they're headed that way. And then in verse 8 we read this. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Well, that's very interesting. It's really an abrupt insertion in this passage. You don't expect this. God's told them, go this way to avoid war. They've been delivered. They've been in the desert now for several days. And now what shows up? The Amalekites. Why would this story be even included in the book? Well, it's included because it happened. <laughs> That's why. You have things in your life, if you tell your story, that aren't very pleasant, and you tell your story without a very pleasant thing, you're not telling the whole story. It happened, and so now we get to learn from it. After everything this people had been through, think with me for a minute, 430 years in slavery. And then this transition begins. This, this man that they don't know they can trust or not. Is he Egyptian? Is he one of them? Moses shows up after going AWOL for 40 years. He comes and says, guess what? I'm going to lead this whole 2 million people out of here. And I'm going to take my brother with me and we're going to Pharaoh and we're going to demand that he release us. Like, we're the economic engine of his economy. And we're going to say, Pharaoh, let us go. And so that's pretty traumatizing if you're an Israelite to get that news. You may not like safety or slavery, but it's predictable. You, you know what tomorrow brings. And Moses is saying things are getting ready to change. And then as you know the story, we've gone through it. Pharaoh resists that plan. And so here come the plagues, ten plagues that God brings upon this, this whole nation of Egypt. And these are Israel's neighbors, by the way, that he's bringing these terrible plagues on. That's enough trauma there in itself to go through all those plagues. And then there's the big one, the Passover. That wasn't just like, I got a fly in my soup kind of plague. That was, your firstborn are going to die, your neighbors, this people, this nation. But I'm going to deliver you through that. In the middle of the night, you're, you're to pack your stuff up quickly and get out of here. And that's exactly what this people has been through. Now they're in the desert. They've crossed the Red Sea through this incredible miracle. And they've not had food and water half the time. And here they are. And now they're traveling. And now the Amalekites. Now this. It's like, had there been enough already... The Amalekites were a desert nomadic people. They, they were kind of barbaric. In fact, they're going to trouble Israel quite a bit over the next few centuries. Some of you have Amalekites in your life right now. You have enough to deal with already. Life's heavy, strenuous enough, and now this. Now this disease. Now this loss of job. Now this unpredictable future. Now this conflict. Now this broken relationship. This is not how you scripted it. This life that you find yourself in. It's not how you planned it. 
And you find yourself thinking, where did, where did it go wrong? I didn't plan this. Uh, in fact, I prepared for something very different. And now my life feels full of Amalekites all over the place. But you know what? The Amalekites are there. And you've got to deal with them. Israel had to deal with them. Moses had to deal with them. Before we move on, just a question. Look back for a moment in your life and ponder this. How often have the Amalekites in your life, the conflict, the weakness, the struggle, the pain, the unpredictable circumstances, how often has those been exactly the things that are pressing in on you that have shaped you in significant ways in who you are now? We know it. The hard stuff. We cry out against it. We beg God to deliver us. But it so frequently proves to be the shaping tool in our lives that we look back on and say, hope I never do that again. But, I discovered some things out of that. I found God in that. I found Him that He's closer than a brother in times of trouble. I found that He's near me. I found that the Holy Spirit's a comforter. I found community who walked alongside me, not perfectly, but they were there with me. How long is that? How many times is that our story that God does it that way? One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 16. It's the confession of a king who's in trouble. I want to read it, a portion of it, just a few verses from it, because this is the kind of confession that you can pray when your life is full of Amalekites. I'm going to step to the side. Is that okay? Because I notice some of you are struggling looking through me to see. Where, is that all right? Okay. Psalm 16, 5-11 David writes, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Boy, there's a whole lot behind that sentence. God puts a boundary in your life and you don't get to cross it. You don't get to become who your mom and dad want you to be or who you envisioned you to be because you have this thing in your life that's hard and painful and you keep running into it. And it just looks like a wall that you can't jump over like you did when you were younger. You can't go around it. You can only go through it. And that's where David often found himself. And he says, those boundary lines, they've fallen for me in pleasant places. That's his confession looking back now. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. Has ever happened to you? It's in the dark of night often where we meet God when we have Amalekites in our life. We can't sleep. We're anxious about tomorrow. I praise the Lord who counsels me even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord with Him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure. This is not the confession of a man with no trouble. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you will let 
Will you let your faithful one see decay? You've made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures in your right hand. See, this is the work of God when your life is full of Amalekites. Not when you're on retreat and you're disengaged. Let's keep reading verse 9. So Moses says to Joshua, in light of the presence of the Amalekites, they're getting ready to attack them, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with my staff. Way back in chapter 13, as Israel's leading Egypt, the author tells us when they left Egypt, they left equipped with battle. What did that look like? They've been in slavery 430 years. They've got no military. How, how can you form a military when you're slaves? They just got out. They just crossed the Red Sea. There's no hierarchy of leadership. It's just kind of Moses at this point. And now he sees... This, these troops, these trained, weathered, barbaric troops. And Moses looks at Joshua. By, by the way, hello Joshua. This is his first appearance in Scripture. And he says, Joshua, you better go form a militia. So, whatever those guys brought out of Egypt, you know, shards of glass, pottery, swords, shields, you know, chalices that they took out of those Egyptian houses... Tell them to bring that stuff, because I think we're going to need it. You might have to throw the chalice at them. Form a militia. We've got to do the best we can. And, and, and I'll, I'll run up the hill with my staff. That, that seems like that thing works pretty good. So I will go up the hill. Moses, in a day, has now become military commander. He's got no warfare training whatsoever. Now, he did get to part the sea once. That's it. That's the bulk of his training. He said, I'll take my staff because it worked back then. So let's try that. So any illusion that the Israelites might have had that after the Red Sea, like our military conflicts are over, well, that's gone. That's not the case. They got Amalekites. Moses didn't sign up for that. He didn't sign up to be a general. You know, when you have Amalekites in your life, you find yourself doing all kinds of things you said you'd never do. You find yourself accepting all kinds of roles and responsibilities that you never wanted. It's just the way it goes. So Joshua, get the able-bodied men together. I'll hike up the hill with my staff. And this, as you know, this is not a normal old staff. It's not a hiking stick he grabbed out of the closet. This is the staff he used that he struck the Jordan River and it turned into blood. This is a staff he used and flies and gnats appeared that he parted the Red Sea. So this thing is really kind of converging to be quite a spectacle. We're getting ready to really see something here. It's going to be very interesting. Moses is responding to reality. The reality of the Amalekites on the ground. He may have had a very different vision about how this journey was going to go. To the promised land. And it wasn't going that way. Moses doesn't even know about the 40 years <laughs> ahead of them. If you'd have told him, guess what? It's going to be 40 years in this desert. He'd have quit. Good thing he doesn't know. 
He also doesn't know this. He's never going to make it to the promised land. He doesn't know that. That's what's coming. But what he is doing is he's responsibly responding to the reality of today. The real circumstances. Joshua, you start fighting. I'll do what I can. You know, we, we had cake Friday night, six years, celebrating six years as a church at Rock Hill. And, you know, we look back on those six years. There's been a whole lot of responding, forming a militia on the fly, building the plane in the air while it's flying, giving Jeremy the slides a couple minutes before the service, throwing together a small group to try to meet new people. There's been a lot of that. Where are we meeting next week? I don't know, but watch your email. We'll let you know when we get there. It's been like that. And there's this temptation now that God's really blessing our ministry and we're growing like, we're not a church plan anymore. Uh, We won't have to respond that way. I'm telling you, I don't know what they look like, but we got Amalekites on the other side of the hill in some form or fashion for us. We're going to have to keep responding to the reality on the ground. Your life. I don't know what they look like, but I hate to break the news to you, there's Amalekites on the other side of the hill that you can't see yet. And you're going to have to keep responding to the reality on the ground. Life's not going to slow down and let you get ready for it. Most of the time. No, God will shape you. But living by faith, living in the kingdom of God, demands a response-ready posture in your life. If you're seeking to live by faith, you can try to script your life, you can try to control it, you can run the risk management game in your life, and completely miss God in the process. Life's not going to stop long enough so you can get ready for the next challenge, probably. It's just coming. It's coming for each of us. So we have to learn to live in this mode, this posture of responsible response. We don't just get to fly by the seat of our pants. Sometimes we don't have a choice. We have to. But we don't get away long by living foolishly and not thinking about tomorrow but we also live in the reality that we don't know what tomorrow holds. So how do we do this? Well, what I want to pose to you this morning is we have to train. We have to train in such a way that we can respond responsibly. Not perfectly, but responsibly. What's a training look like? It'll look kind of differently for each of us as individuals. It'll have its own version for you. But there'll also be some commonalities. And I want to I just give you four common principles of training to live in response mode. First one is this. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. Proverbs 4, 5 to 7. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her. She will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get it. (laughs) Listen to the statement. Though it cost everything you own, though it cost you 
all you have, get understanding. So Luke tells us that age 12, Jesus grew in stature and what? Wisdom. Jesus, the Son of God, grew in wisdom. There are a lot of Malachites waiting on Jesus. A lot. And he was shaped in the way of wisdom. There's this call in the book of Proverbs to wisdom. I've shared this story before, but when I was a young man, the age of, of some of you, my pastor said, for the next 10 years, I think you ought to read a chapter in Proverbs every day. He said, get wisdom. You're going to need it. What is wisdom? It's the ability to see life as God sees it. Not perfectly, but it's the ability to see situations and circumstances and events and to begin to look at it from, through God's eyes. That's what wisdom is. And it's the ability to respond according to what you're seeing. That's, that's the essence of wisdom. Life is going to throw a lot at you. And without wisdom, it's going to be a series of train wrecks for you. Even with wisdom, you'll make mistakes. You'll derail from time to time because we're human and we do make mistakes. But if you don't chase wisdom, the Amalekites will hunt you down in your life. You need wisdom. We all need wisdom. Pursue it. Do it cost all you have. Get wisdom. Secondly, understand and embrace the process of spiritual formation. We don't grow overnight into the people we need to be. It's a process. And we know this. We talk about it a lot. There's a little diagram that we've looked at several times. It's called the golden triangle of spiritual formation. We don't change into the image of Christ just by hanging around and doing nothing. It's not a passive endeavor. We have to engage. Now, there's three triangles here. There at the bottom, there's the event circumstances of your life. These are the Amalekites. On the bottom right is what you do to train, plan dif- disciplines that form your heart. And we're not going to unpack those this morning. We do that from time to time. Pervading this triangle is the activity of God in your life. God's work. So there's what life brings, there's what you bring, and there's God in the middle of it. That's what spiritual formation is like. It's not just you doing the disciplines. But you've got to do the disciplines. It's not just what life is throwing at you, but life is going to throw a lot at you. And it's not just God zapping you and making you to a better person. These things work together. It's a biblical model, I think. It's not a perfect model. But you have to decide, am I just going to be saved or am I going to be shaped? If you're content with just being saved, then the Amalekites are coming for you. And you're not going to know what to do. And you're just going to white knuckle it till you get to heaven. If you'll choose the way of being shaped, still be hard. But God will really help you with wisdom, with formation in your own life. It'll, be, it'll look very, very different for you when we're shaped. Thirdly, learn from your master teacher. Jesus. He knows a little bit about responding 
to the Amalekites. He had a lot of them in his life. There are a lot of realities on the ground that if his, his human self could have just picked it, he wouldn't have chosen it. But they were there, and he had to deal with them, and he did deal with them. I want to read a passage in John 5 for you. What's happened here is Jesus just healed a man who had been uh, sick, paralyzed for 38 years. That's the context. And then this is what happens after that. It says, because Jesus did these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began, you can take Jewish out, put Malachites in there if you want. The Malachites began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. God's present in my life, my father. I too am putting effort into this. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his father, making himself equal with God. And then, this is what I want you to hear most. Jesus said to them, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees his father doing. Because what the father does, the son also does. I want to challenge you with this passage this morning. This is a core lesson of learning to live in the kingdom of God. Jesus is not saying this is just for him. He wants you to learn how to recognize the voice, the perspective, the activity of God in your life. And really learn how to follow that. Now, I can't give you five easy steps. There's a sense in which you're going to have to walk with this. You know, you, you can't put something in a notebook and become the kind of person that this is true. Try to put yourself in that. I tell you, chance does nothing by himself. He only does what he sees God doing. Because whatever the Father does, chance does too. Can you put yourself there? Jeff, Ben, Marley, Shelby. How'd you like to become that kind of person? How'd you like that to be increasingly true in your life? That in increasing measure, your life is a result of following the leadership of God. And you're not doing it on your own. You're not guessing. Sometimes there's guesswork in it. So how do you, how do you learn that? How do you become that kind of person? Well, I can't, I can't give you easy steps. I can make a few suggestions that have been true for me. One, learn the ways, truth, and life of Christ. Learn that. Give yourself to be an apprentice of Jesus. Learn his ways. You know this already. Secondly, learn humility. Humility is akin to wisdom. If you try to operate, all of us struggle with our ego. Every one of us struggles with pride. It's just there. We want to put ourselves in the center. We want what we want when we want it. It's just our common struggle. The way of humility says, I'm not at the center. There are other things. I find my place in the kingdom, but I'm not in the middle of it. I'm not on the throne. Someone else is. Humility is learning that. Well, our part in humility is not to make ourselves humble. It's to humble ourselves. Does that make sense? You can't make yourself become a humble person. 
Good luck. But what you can do is when you're in the circumstances and the Malachites in your life, you do what David did in Psalm 16. You come before him and say, Lord, this is not about me. This is about you. You are my portion and my cup. The balance, this, this situation you've given me, it's pleasant. I don't feel it right now, but I just confess, you, you're going to take care of me. That's the humble, that's what humility looks like. It's not acting meek with your shoulders drooped. Humility is recognizing who you are in God's kingdom and, and making much of him in your life. Also, learn the way of seeking. This is really important. The proud person says, I've got what I need. I know what I need to know. The seeker says, I'm learning, I'm growing, but I haven't arrived. I'm still curious. I still learn, I'm still learning. Christ said, seek first my kingdom and all these things will be given to you. You know, when you seek something, you look for it everywhere. That's what it means to be a seeker. Christ says, look for my kingdom. Next, learn to listen. Newsflash, if you don't learn to listen to others, you won't learn to listen to God. It's how it works. You have to cultivate a heart of humility with each other. Often, the each other might be an Amalekite in your life, someone really hard for you. God may place that person in your life for you to listen to. Finally, and this is art, not science, learn to hear the still, small voice of God. Normally, when God speaks to us, not always, normally, it's in a still, small voice. I have learned there is a quality and a tone about it. And I I don't always get it right. But I am learning. You can learn these things with me. You can learn them too. So there's, let's go over the three things. Get wisdom, embrace the process of formation, learn from Christ, and and then finally, Train together. Let's look at the last uh, few verses in our Exodus passage. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hurst held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other. So his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. Moses wasn't the only one on the hill. Right? The story is not just about Moses and his staff. Aaron and Hur were on the hill too. Maybe they got sent up there because it was like, Hey, Aaron, Hur, we need you to go with Moses up the hill because he's 80. And he might stumble and trip. And we don't need Moses rolling down the hill. So help him get up there. So I don't know if that's the way it went or not. But he gets up there and Aaron and her perhaps said, okay, job's done. He's on the hill. Moses, check. Staff, check. So Moses raises the staff and it, it works. But guess what? Moses is 80. Moses needs to sit down. This thing is going longer. Those Amalekites are tough. Moses needs to sit on a rock. Moses can't move the rock to sit on. Aaron and her can. 
They roll the rock under Moses and he sits on the rock. Moses' arms get tired. He can't hold up that staff. So what did Aaron and her do? They find rocks too. They sit beside him and they hold up his arms. I think there's something real powerful in there for us. We learn to respond responsibly as community. In community. Not independently. We don't take assessment of just our resources. Moses wasn't enough. He couldn't do the job alone. He needed a rock. He couldn't open the staff himself. Turns out, Aaron and her are critical to the victory. We just tell the story about Moses and the staff often. I want to read one more passage to you and then we'll, we'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I think I put it in there, Jeremy. Maybe I didn't. Did I forget that one? Okay, I'll read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a description of the church. Verse 4 says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the, get this, the common good. All of these, in verse 11, says are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one as He determines. God doesn't elevate one role of the other over the other in community. Sometimes we do. God doesn't. He doesn't view the commander as more necessary than the warrior or the arm holder or the shield bearer or the person who sharpens the sword or the one who cooks the meals. Each is gifted. Each becomes equipped. Each is critical to victory. Sometimes roles change. One day you're at armor bearer, the next day you're the commander. One day you're sharpening swords, the next day you're cooking for the troops. We can't control so many things in our lives. So many things. There's much of our circumstances. But we have to learn how to respond responsibly to them. We're on a journey, friends, a journey towards freedom, each of us. We're on a journey we long for a smooth, easy journey, but it's not what we get most of the time. When you get through the thing you're in now, you may have a season that's just sweet, conflict-free. I'm telling you, there's some Malachites on the other side of the hill. And it's going to be that way for us. We can bemoan that. We can try to control it so it doesn't happen. We can complain about it. We can grieve and we can become victims. Or we can learn to respond responsibly. Let's train together. Let's keep training together. We don't know what's coming for us. Whether you live 
in this community called Rock Hill and Lawrence, or you're getting ready to leave and go somewhere else, you need to train. You need to train with wisdom and humility and learning the ways, truth, life of Jesus. And my encouragement to you is you need to do it in community. So let's do that. Let's do the work of it. Let's do the messy work of it. Let's pray together and we'll end our time with worship. As we transition out, just want to just bring it front and center for you. What has God spoken to you about, if anything, this morning? What has he brought to mind in, in terms of what does it mean to live responsibly in the kingdom? What, is it, what does it mean to train for you? What, is it, what does it look like right now? What are, you can't do everything to train. You can't do it all at once. What is the next step? Is there a, is there a way that he wants to shape you in humility? Is there, is there a pursuit of wisdom that you need to engage? You've not been paying attention to that. Is there a pursuit of Christ and his character that you need? Is there something God's putting his finger on that only God can do? And pay attention to that in the coming days. Take from this what God has for you. Let me pray. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would help us. We've been on retreat, uh, many of us, and it's really been sweet. It's been rich. And we've, we've, some of us have had the opportunity to disengage a little bit. But we know we're going back in. God, would you shape us in such a way that We'll be ready for what's coming. We, we believe that a lot of really good things are coming. We also understand that really hard things are coming. And God, we just want to lean into that rather than grieve it or bemoan it and just accept that you're going to be with us and go with us and give us what we need. God, help us to do our part. Help us to learn the way of humility and wisdom and character formation as we follow you. Help us to learn to hear your voice for our lives and together. Lord, these are the ways of your kingdom. I know what I'm praying for is a lot. It's a mouthful. But would you give us a posture saying, I will train in your ways as we go from this place. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.